This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to episode the 76th of Tamper Tantrum. My name is Colin Harmon. I'm joined today uh, by a good friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine actually that I don't really know. I'm going to put it like that. Is, is that a good way to do it? Yeah, I think that's fair. fair yeah. description. Yeah. Um, Mr. Corey Andrean, how are you, Corey? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good, yeah. Um, we're here to talk about you, but let's talk about me for a second, will we? Yeah, please. Okay, yeah, so this morning we opened five points in Harold's Cross in Dublin. Um, so... This is a, a cafe that's been run by Adam Sheridan. If you visited 3FE, then you'll know who Adam is. So it's his baby, and we're uh, doing all the back-end stuff. And it was great, because I rocked up at the opening day to see if I could help, and all I had to do was sit there and drink coffee. So it was really nice. That sounds like a pretty nice morning. Yeah. Uh, the sun is shining, so um, yeah, nothing can go wrong. Okay, let's hope not. <laughs> uh, right, back to you. Um, so... Usually we start with like, oh, how did you get into coffee or all that kind of stuff? I'm going to start with a different question for you. What the fuck are you doing in Berlin? How did you get there? Um, yeah, so I suppose it started with Teenage Rebellion. Uh, when I was I don't know, probably about 14 years old, I, I got the idea in my mind that I just really wanted to get out of the United States and um, experience uh, something else. Some get a different perspective on things, and for some reason, Berlin really appealed to me. It might have had something to do with um, like weird Fritz Long movies, books I was reading. Um, Rammstein might have also had something to do with it. Just please don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of lobbied, lobbied my family until they finally relented and let me go for an exchange year when I was 16. Wow. Uh, and yeah, I loved it. That's so. not really like I'm going to this is a huge like generalization across the board, but it's not a typical thing for a kid growing up in the states to want to go all the way across the world to Europe at that age, is it? Um no. None of my none of my peers really understood it and the even the school I went to um yeah, they they didn't they'd never had anyone do that before, so they didn't they didn't know what to do with me when I came back. Um, they wanted to actually hold me back by a year because they were convinced that I, I wouldn't have learned anything during a year in Germany. And you have any family in Germany or anything like that? Or? No, but that's, that's also kind of the point. Wow, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. That's not nice. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I was 16 I've, I've too about, once. I, I get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've spent about 10 years here now, so uh, it's, it's definitely home. Berlin particularly has that kind of draw about it. Like I think it's knowing people in Dublin that have gone to Berlin, there is a sense sometimes, that, and I don't mean this in the coffee context, I mean this in a general sense, that people when they're, not necessarily when they're struggling, but when they're just, they're itching, you know, they just want something to change. Berlin has this this draw, it just pulls people in. And, it, and having been to Berlin only three times, I it, you find a lot of people in Berlin that are kind of, They've come there to almost define themselves. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it's, it offers Berlin offers a space for people to do that, which is nice. It's still and prices have been been going up steadily um, in recent years, but it's still relatively inexpensive place to live, uh, and it's kind of you're free to do whatever you want essentially, um, as long as you're not 
as long as you're not murdering anyone. Uh, you can you can drink twenty four seven. You can run around on the streets naked. Um, no one's really interested. So um, <laughs> it's pretty yeah, it's a pretty cool place to be. And when did coffee happen? Coffee, coffee happened. I would say um, that the first the first little inklings of of coffee happening were probably 2008-2009 but it really it really ramped up probably 2012 that's when things really started moving and and was there something in particular that sparked that or was it just a gradual thing or um well i'd say a lot of it has to do with uh the, the startup scene developing in berlin um kind of in uh 2009 you had a lot of startups starting to to open shop in Berlin, mm-hmm. and as they became more successful, they were importing more and more tech people from places like the U.S., Australia, the U.K., other countries who already had a strong specialty coffee uh, culture. And a lot of these people arrived with a strong desire for better coffee, and so they would they would hunt out the the small shops. Uh, doing doing something different. You know, my my shop CK. We were when the beginning when we were selling V60s in 2009. We would sell maybe one each week. Yeah. Uh, Germans were convinced filter coffee was disgusting. Uh, and really. Then, yeah. Yeah. That surprises me though, because like, like Germany does have like a rich culture of people bringing beans home and making coffee, don't they? They and do. Have, what's those kind of porcelain jug things called? What are they called? The Melita filters. Um, you, you mean know, oh no the the Carlsbad Kanu? Yeah, I'm glad you, mean, you right? said that. Yeah. <laughs> Is there um, not like a culture of like filter coffee there? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Germany was traditionally very much like Scandinavia. Um, yeah, you know, uh, high quality commercial coffee in in the supermarkets. Lots of lots of Colombian Arabica. Um, you know, if you bought the the big the big supermarket brands, it was um, not not darkly roasted Colombian Arabica for the most part. Uh, and it's actually thanks to Aldi that that culture changed completely. Mm. Um, Aldi started a price war essentially with the other largest supermarket chains in in Germany, and Aldi was roasting their own coffee and most likely selling it at a slight loss. Yeah, no one's sure. Um, but then that meant the the other big supermarket chains went to the big coffee brands and said they couldn't they couldn't afford to pay so much. They were losing too many customers. And so the brand started bit by bit replacing all of that uh, delicious Colombian coffee with steam-treated uh, uh, Robusta from Viet- Vietnam. So, yeah. you know, the poor, poor German grannies, they're buying the same, the same package of coffee they always did for decades. And uh, the, the contents had changed considerably. And so the younger generation tasted that and was completely appalled. And so now it's considered... Um, the really the um, the people who consider themselves coffee connoisseurs usually go for a thing called a latte macchiato, which is about half a liter of steamed milk with a single shot of espresso in it. Yeah, I remember having this conversation with people in uh, usually Germans uh, in Dublin around the turn of the century. God, I sound old when I say shit like that. Um, <laughs> when um, don't laugh. Yes. Uh, 
where, like come in they'd ask for a macchiato and then we'd give them I suppose what's like the other type of macchiato where you're staining espresso with milk as opposed to staining milk with espresso but you right. give the espresso with a little dollop of milk on top and they'd be like what the fuck is this and, yeah it was all sorts of cultural breakdown um, that's interesting though so like just would you ever get like an older member of society in Germany drinking what you would now consider good coffee and going this is what it used to be like yes absolutely absolutely that's really interesting or uh, we like uh, to pretend that we're doing all this for the first time eh? yeah <laughs> well the, that's the, what's funny is you have would have a lot of people coming in uh, and watching and you know how we were making these these v60s and we really thought that you know like step by step we were we were figuring out a lot of things about coffee we were learning new things about how to make coffee really good and um you know, people would watch us, you know, stir the stir the slurry as we pre-infuse, and then how we poured the water through. And you know, customer after customer would say, "Ah, you know, my my mother used to make coffee the same way, always, or mm. my grandmother always made coffee that way." I, you know, I've never seen anyone else do it like that, but I heard that story time and time again. And uh, I mean, it was good. It was it was an important thing to hear because uh, I feel like for uh, I feel like a lot of people have this moment in their in their coffee career where they feel like they're reinventing, or they're they're kind of really discovering something brand new that no one ever has before. Yeah, and uh, I think it's pretty tough to progress on to do something really interesting if you don't have the moment of realization that that no, uh, most of what you're doing has been figured out by someone long before you. Uh, they just didn't blog about it. Huh. It's, it reminds me, I had a conversation with a dude that ran a magazine for bakers. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And then but he's telling me that like their annual distribution is like they've got like something like 12 million subscribers or something crazy like that. And I was like, where are they? And he's like, oh, just in Germany. And I'm like, for baking magazines. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, we have a coffee one. And I was like, oh, and what's that? Like, he goes, oh, it's not so big. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, it's just like five or six million. And I was like, what? And it, I got the sense talking to him that there's this like humongous coffee industry in Germany that has absolutely nothing to do with specialty coffee and isn't even aware of it. Like he would ask me questions about the World Barista Championships and about Tamper Tantrum, about, you know, like uh, specialty coffee shops. And I, I'd mentioned places like CK and, and the Barn and, in Berlin. And he'd like, mm, no, never heard of them. And it's, there's a whole like beast of a coffee industry there that just is completely untapped. Yep. It's true. Yeah, I don't know. It reminds me of, of beer in Ireland. You've got this kind of um, craft brew scene and then it's like just colossal brewery scene and they, they kind of live in separate different worlds. Um, so CK started in what year? Um, April 1st of 2009. <laughs> I like well, that. April yeah. 1st. <laughs> the, biggest, the, biggest, the biggest prank I ever pulled on the world. <laughs> And um, before we get into how CK started and, and where it went and all that kind of stuff, there's one thing, like, we share, we have a Jan in common, me and you, don't we? We do. Uh, so, for those of you listening that don't know who Jan is, um, Jan works at 3FE and used to work at CK with Corey. And I remember saying to Jan, like, oh, well, was it difficult, you know, like, learning to work in a coffee shop and learning to speak German at the same time? And he was like, oh, well, they never really intersected. And... I see this in in German, like in Berlin particularly. There's you can work in a specialty coffee shop and not speak German. Yep. How does that happen? 
It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Well, it's it's especially funny that Jan would say that because uh, I, I met him several months before he applied for the job, and I, I told him I, you know, I, he's he's a very charismatic guy. Um, you know, at the time he was still young, <laughs> dashing. Um, and so I I told him I would love to give him a job at the coffee shop, but uh, he needed to take some German classes for us first. And so he he did. He dove right into German classes. Um, maybe would still come into the cafe regularly, say hi, uh, update me on his progress. And uh, in in under two months, he he made a huge amount of progress. So his his German was probably in the end better than at least fifty percent of the other people we employed. At Always very Cafe understated, Jan, isn't he? Yes, you never <laughs> want to, to tell me that. Um, but it's it's bizarre how how it works. How so many of the cafes you go into um, are staffed by people who don't speak or even really understand German. Um, a dearth of German speaking people who who want to work with coffee, uh, who see it as a kind of a respectable thing or a respectable pursuits. The people who who do get jobs at cafes are the kind of people who are looking for uh, just a job to make money that they don't have to think about. And mm-hmm. so if you present them with the, the idea of coffee that you have to think very much about in its preparation, uh, they're not interested. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think a lot of it at, at other shops as well stems from the fact that uh, people were only hiring baristas from elsewhere because the owners of the shops didn't know the first thing about, about specialty coffee. You know, the, the big bonanza five elephant in the barn were all started by people who uh, never, never worked with coffee a day in their lives. Oh. And so uh, do you uh, have that traditional, or well, I suppose it's traditional in this part of the world, but like the backbone of Australian and Kiwi uh, baristas kind of, um, bringing that skill set, skill set to the show. <laughs> the the skill shit. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we we have the skill shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's, uh, it's very easy for, for, uh, Kiwis and, uh, Australians to get one year working visas in Germany. So pretty much just fill out, fill out a form and, and they'll give you a visa straight away. So I don't know of anyone it's easier for. Yeah. And is, is that sense of not needing to speak German, is that peculiar to coffee or is there other industries in, in Berlin that are like that? Um, well, mostly coffee. There are, um, yeah, it's really it's it's only in coffee that it, you see it so so strongly. Um, every now and then you'll go to a bar or a restaurant, um, but I feel I feel like that's a, a more recent phenomenon. That's only in the past couple of years that it's spread to other areas of hospitality. Yeah, I was speaking to Susie Keeley. Uh, obviously, he used to also work at Three Fe. Yeah, works at the bar now, and she was saying that they've opened a new cafe, which is in is it in West Berlin? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And she says the expectation there is different. That in that part of the city, you're expected to speak German, and she's struggling a bit with that. But it's yes, it's a much different crowd out there. You know, that's the that's also the the bizarre thing of of kind of the specialty co- coffee coming up in Berlin is that it's very much focused in certain certain neighborhoods and and very heavily in the former East as well. Yeah, that's similar to how it happened in London as well, I suppose, because it was Shoreditch and that kind of Bethnal Green area was. Was yeah, the epicenter, but now it's it's kind of spreading out. So, uh, April first, two thousand and nine, um, CK Coffee. How did that all start? Um, 
yeah. Well, the uh, the catalyst was really my my former host mother from when I was an exchange student. Strangely enough, oh. um, yeah, she'd been she'd been talking for years about opening a, a little a little bar or something. Uh, um, she'd kind of been toying with that idea, and I discovered coffee in in the U.S. Uh, but before I, before I moved here for good, it would have been in 2007. Counterculture opened their first training center outside of North Carolina in Washington D.C. Where are you from, Corey? Washington D.C. Washington, okay. Yeah, um, and you know they they'd been Counterculture been providing my favorite cafe there with uh, with coffee, and I was good friends with the people who worked at this cafe. So when the training center opened and they started doing their public cuppings, um, as I found out about them and I thought it sounded like the most bizarre thing in the world. And so <laughs> I wanted to cupping. go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's called cupping. So I, I went to check it out and, uh, was completely blown away and started going week after week. Um, I wasn't even working with coffee at the time. I was just kind of became fascinated with the variety that was out there. And, um, yeah, so I really got in, ended up getting into working with coffee by just tasting it. Yeah. And so when I moved back to Berlin, it was it was awful. It was it was awful. The, the you coffee saw, was absolutely saw an opportunity there then. unpalatable. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. So in absolutely. Washington at that stage, just to go back a step, then that's that's murky coffee kind of period in Washington, is it? It is. It's, that's peak show. Yeah, and then you have like because I'm kind of fascinated. They should make a documentary that like nobody would watch, but I'd like it to be made anyway. And <laughs> and you'd be in there, and Nick Cho be there, and Katie Cargillo, and David Nigel Flynn, and um, Zachary Carlson. Zachary Carlson, like yep. that's a that's the epicenter right there, isn't it? It's it's yep. No one no one knows about it. It's the yep. You keep finding all these people that are. Um, there's a few more that I've completely forgotten. And today in Washington is is because people say to you, "Oh, where do I go for coffee in Washington?" And I'm like, I really don't know. Is is that fizzled out now, or is there? No, it's great. Okay, I'm sorry, Washington. It's really good. I'd have to say it's one of. Um, Washington is is ooh, probably my favorite coffee coffee city in the U.S. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's I, the, the, I the level is there. high. The level is high. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry about that, Washington. I apologize <laughs> profusely. Okay, so back to Germany, to Berlin. Coffee's crap. Corey's going to save the day. Um, yeah, well, I, just wanted a, I just wanted a good cup of filter coffee. And what is were your it? choices then from in terms of roasting and like... Well, nothing. But Bonanza had opened uh, just... I want to say in September mm-hmm. the year before, something like that. Um, but they weren't, they weren't roasting yet. They were, they were having stuff roasted for them by a place called Andraschko and then a place called, uh, the Berliner Café Rösterei. And, um, it was, it was a, a, a bit better than, uh, than the other stuff, but it was all, it was still, it was still espresso and it was very much, um, kind of the Pacific Northwest aesthetic of coffee from 2006 really short very very short shots bros bro uh yep yeah that's it um so uh yeah that was it and then it wasn't and then uh yeah we we started trying to do uh filter coffee and luckily we uh 
had a great working relationship with Bonanza and um, even before they were really roasting for themselves, uh, I, they were roasting filter coffee for us on their, on their original little three kilo pro bat from the thirties. Nice. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of this, uh, this journey, journey together, uh, you know, two steps forward, one step back. And, uh, and then the barn opened in the summer of what was it, 2010, I want to say. Is it that long? Whoa. Yeah. 2010. And then finally the another shop in town was offering, offering pour overs as well. And, um, and that really helped as soon as there were, as soon as there were, there were two of us, um, people started to catch on a bit more. So, um, and so that sense of, was there a community behind it? Like there wasn't like, let's say London or in Paris or was it each man to himself or? Um, no, 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 there was ab- absolutely a community. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the, community was uh it was very nice it was kind of 2010 was was a really nice time because uh five elephant had opened by that point as well um and you know we would we would get together from time to time have a beer have a chat uh even tried to start a bit of a kind of berlin coffee society to to do more stuff together but Hmm. um that that imploded a little bit it it does tend to. That's yes. kind of how things go. <laughs> yes. But, okay. So with running coffee shops, like you as a person, like is is that something you enjoy doing? Is that something that you mm. kind of naturally took to, or no, <laughs> no, no, I don't enjoy it. Really? I don't. It's uh, um, I really like I really like making coffee for people and talking to them. Yeah, you're really good so, at that, Corey. Um, thanks. <laughs> uh, no, I love being on the counter. Uh, but it's, you know, just like with, with all things you love, if, uh, it turns into the thing you're doing 10 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, it's hard to keep on loving it. Yeah. Um, and, and then along with that, just, you know, having a coffee shop, there's so much, um, I don't know, so many sleepless nights, so many, so many things to worry about. You know, you get on a plane and instead of thinking about the, the plane crashing with you on it, you're just thinking of like a water pipe breaking in the cafe while you're yeah. in the air and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> um, so. So what was next? <laughs> well, next, I, well, so next was opening a second location, of course. <laughs> <laughs> There is uh, yeah. like I'm not I'm not taking a pop here. I'm saying this as, as someone who did this as well. It's like I can't make this first one work. Let's get a second one. Yeah, <laughs> and then you think you'll you'll scale the benefits, but you really just scale the problems. Oh, um, um, yep. So I did had a had the second location for for about <laughs> two years. I'm sorry, and, and uh, no, it's but uh, yeah, just just as it was, uh, it was. Break, you know, breaking even, he's doing all right. Decided, uh, it just was, it was too much. So yeah, um, scaled it back. Yeah, um, scaled it back, and that would have been. Well, I think it was actually just after, uh, um, just after I I did the thing in 2012 with tasting coffees. Decided to um, close the second shop, and then, uh, and then yeah, started doing. 
of little things here and there and um, sourcing some coffee. So have um, you have you stepped away from CK altogether? No. CK CK closed. Oh really? End of November. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. I should know. End that. of an era. No, it's it's fine. It's absolutely. Uh, it's it, I sleep better at night. You know. Yeah. So like, coffee shops don't stop, do they? They just. It's always that uh, that beating in the back of your mind that just doesn't go away. Always. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, but uh, that's fine because I've been super super busy with uh, with quite a few things actually. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the Berlin Coffee Festival. Oh, the Berlin Coffee Festival! It's a it's a fine festival indeed. So what was what, like? So you're obviously heavily involved in that. Were you like a founder of that, or was that already going when you stepped in, or was it? N- no, no. So I'm the I'm the director of the festival now, but um, the first. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's just going to be in its third year. Is that uh, all? In September, yeah, that's it. Feels like it's uh, been going forever in a in in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> good. That's that's good to hear. Wow, because um, it's one of the more kind of well established ones, eh? It's well. It, hey, last year was great. Um, I don't know. It was a great great turnout. It was even twenty percent more people than than the year before, which was the first year. Um, and, uh, it's amazing how many people were coming from places as far away as West coast of the U S or Dublin, um, Dublin. Yes. <laughs> that, that guy uh, rocked. <laughs> uh, but it's, no, it's really cool. The, the whole, the, it, the idea mostly came from, uh, this lovely guy named, uh, named Philip who, uh, who has a coffee shop, uh, inside of the Mark Talu, uh, which is like this market, uh, called the Mark Talanoin, which is just down the street from where I live. Um, and it's great. It's kind of a hub for uh, good food and drink in Berlin. They have a delivery service that provides produce uh, and other wares to to a lot of the best restaurants in town. Um, and they host, like, the, the raw wine fair when it comes to Berlin is there. They put on all kinds of, of festivals based around artisanal produced foodstuffs. Um, and, and so Philip really wanted to do this, this coffee festival. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's ma- it's mainly his baby. We talked with a few, a few people to get some other, uh, to get some other input on it, but, uh, and it's great. I mean, the idea behind it is that it's completely geared towards consumers, people who drink coffee. It's not, it's not about B2B. It's not about, you know, finding a optimal packaging solution yeah. or, um, you know, anything else that has absolute zero interest for the consumer. Um, and it's great because it's, I think it's actually tough if you're, if you're a coffee consumer to find, find an event where you can, you can learn about coffee and try it in an approachable way. It's a weird thing how they pitch them because oh, I was at the Amsterdam coffee festival on the weekend and uh, obviously been to a lot of festivals over the years uh, and trade shows and they feel they feel like they're merging slightly you know and I'm not even sure if like so a lot of them have trade days and then you know public days and uh, I don't know like there doesn't seem to be a huge difference between them or there seems to be a lot of sense in just merging the two anyway you know because like I think trade could learn a lot from just watching how the public behaves you know but um, 
Mm. It's weird. I'm not sure anybody really knows how, how to handle that because, like, obviously yours is a bit more public facing, but you get a heavy amount of people from trade visiting then as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th- well, this year for the first time we're we're going to do kind of a pro day, so we're extending it by one day just to yeah, kind of offer a platform for for people who who work with coffee or for even for the people who are super obsessed with coffee. Uh, from the outside of the industry to to come and to kind of dive in a bit more deep, because that's the that's actually the biggest complaint we've had in the past two years is that it's uh, um, for the people exhibiting they it's not enough time they want to have another day to um, yeah to kind of cultivate cultivate the the professional relationships so. yeah. And it, it it spans the city pretty well. There's like multi locations as well, which I like as well. And that's actually that's that's one of the coolest things about it is that the first two days of it, yeah, are just the satellite events that take place in the entire city. Because I mean, you know how it is if we go to to World of Coffee or any of these other big big coffee fairs. Um, you know, you're in you're in a coffee which has its own native kind of coffee scene that you really want to check out, but for the most part, you don't have time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that's, that's pretty great that the, the coffee festival in Berlin that we have, it's kind of spread out all over the city. We had 60 events over, over those two days last year. Yeah. Um, it, and it does feel a bit more like an actual festival. Like, I mean, there's lots of coffee festivals, but they're, they're really just, you know, coffee trade shows. They just call them festivals, but. It's true. When is it this year? Actually, just so, while well, you have a chance to pitch it. <sighs> The first. Come on, Corey. You we know go. Uh, September. The stage. month is September. It's and <laughs> oh, that's specific. Eh? <laughs> it's the eighth to the eleventh. No, wait. The first to the fourth. First to the fourth. First to the fourth. Wow. There you go. The first. Is <laughs> I'm good at this. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully I'll make it across. It'll be good. Um, okay. So, what are you doing these days? Um. Yeah, these days. Well, I do, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, consulting work, which is fun. Working with uh, everything from little cafes to bigger roasters on um, troubleshooting, essentially, like the fixing. If they don't like the way the coffee tastes, or they have an idea of what they what kind of coffee they want to offer and don't know how to realize that, then um, then I I help out with that, which is a lot of um, in the end, it's a lot of green sourcing, a lot of water filtration issues, and then just quality control post-roast. And do you enjoy that? I love it. It's fun. It's, uh, it's nice because it's, uh, it's traveling. Um, it's, so it's mostly outside of Germany. And it's nice to go to different places and see kind of what their idea of, of a specialty cafe is. You know, what, what their idea of... Um, yeah, just because each you know the, these coffee places uh, in in every country, it's always you know there's often going to be flat whites and there's going to be V60, but oftentimes they'll also just have something that's kind of the the native touch, something from kind of their own culture uh, that's really important to for them to include in this coffee shop, mm-hmm. uh, and that's always nice just to kind of see what makes it a bit different. Um, yeah, because every city, it's weird how the little idiosyncrasies in, in every city or country are just slightly different. And you, you wouldn't notice them from the outside. And it's only when you come in. I remember being in um, 
Melbourne and going to this cafe and they were like serving takeaway coffees and just saying to the guys like, oh, it's so different in Dublin. And he's like, why? Well, it's it's the same, but it's really different because <laughs> you guys put the lid on the paper cup after you make the coffee. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, like in Dublin, if, if you serve somebody a takeaway coffee, you have to give them the cup without the lid. If you put the lid on them for them, they'd be a bit like, why did you put my lid on? <laughs> like, it would be just the weirdest thing. People wouldn't be able to cope. And he yeah. was just like, don't find out by this. It's like, well, so you make them put their own lid on? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why? I don't know. Just <laughs> <laughs> Why? That's just the way we do it. Um, but yeah, I, I love those little small quirky things that make, like if, you, and if you're someone to ask you, well, why is your scene different? You'd never cite that as a reason why it's different, but it's just there and it's what you do. Um, talk to you about nitro coffee. Ah, yes. Um, the the nitro coffee thing. Because you know um, when when we when when we drink beers at the various shows and events around the world, and the conversation goes on to nitro coffee, it's always like, oh, you, you need to talk to Corey. Corey knows about nitro coffee. <laughs> well, that 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 started. Yeah, it's been it's been a project for the past three years, I'd say. And it didn't, it didn't start to make nitro coffee. And it's still not about nitro coffee per se, but it was more just thinking about, um, you know, just in the different, different projects I was working on with various clients and just also talking to people, um, talking to coffee drinkers. I was thinking a lot about this whole quality versus convenience thing, um, you know, which is really... Um, I don't know, that is at the heart of, of most coffee consumption yeah. around the world. And, you know, the rise of, of Nespresso, uh, people, people in our, our particular niche of the industry likes to demonize Nespresso and uh, poo-poo on them, but um, they, they really speak to people. What they do is it's easy, it's not terrible, and... Um, it's consistent, it, achievable... Yeah, exactly. It's Cheap. uh right. It's um it's a very it's a very well made product. And um I was thinking a lot that if we want to compete with that, we need to make something that is um clearly higher in quality. Just mm -hmm. you know, tastes tastes better. Um and it needs to be as easy, if not easier. Um and you know, I was also thinking about uh yeah, thinking about a lot of other things like uh, like uh, Maxwell, for instance, with his pods, and you know, from the moment he said he was doing pods, I just thought it was the weirdest thing in the world that the guy who literally wrote the book on water for coffee was going to offer a convenient coffee solution uh, where you have zero control over the water, mm -hmm. and you know, ultimately that's what's going to make his top pods work or not, as long as he's you know satisfied with what he's putting in them. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, essentially I reached a point where I thought, you know, we just need to be able to be like brewers or winemakers. We need to be able to put coffee in a vessel that people just pop open and, and they can drink it. So we know what it's going to taste like. Um, and they have as little, as little work as possible. Um, so from there, it was just kind of working on the problem of why fresh brewed coffee goes bad. Uh, because I'm, I'm also, I'm not a, I'm not a lover of cold brew. I've, we, we tried to make our relationship work for years, and in the end, 
we just decided it was best if we if we went our separate ways. It's the weird thing. Like, I'm probably in a similar place to Cobra. I'm like, uh, we're, we're like we're working on a project at the moment to try and achieve something, and like there's definitely been cold brews that I've been served. I've gone, that's great. I'll have another cup, and then you have another cup, and I'm like, wait, this is awful. Yep. <laughs> and I have, why the fuck is that happening? You better have an answer, for Corey. I'm gonna be really disappointed if you don't. <laughs> no, it's different, different factors. Uh, a lot of it's oxidation. It's a yeah. lot of it is just people not taking oxidation into account. I think it's the one thing that I've like I've gotten from a career in coffee, is my ability to taste oxidation in yep. all its forms. Yep. Whereas, like, I remember meeting meeting a wine producer, and he was like, talking, "I was like, this is all going over my head. I don't know what you're talking about." And he was like, "Oh, I thought you're into wine." I said, "No, like, I drink. I don't really know anything about it." So, and then he gave me a glass, and I was like this tastes oxidized and he was like hmm and he drank it he goes oh yeah it is <laughs> and he's like how did you know that I'm like that's 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 the thing i have one thing Coffee's <laughs> giving me one, one thing. thing yeah yeah it's it's oxidation uh, <laughs> is it possible to control that uh yeah absolutely to to um i mean the, the catalysts for oxidation are well, heat is the main catalyst but then uh, also oxygen of course is necessary so. i'd guess that bit um, so yeah, well, that's kind of how nitro coffee ended up happening. Um, anyways, because, uh, in the beginning it was actually just making kind of like a, a normal filter coffee on tap. Uh, but there was being pushed through the line with nitrogen to, mm -hmm. to kind of keep it away from, keep it away from the oxygen. Um, and when was this? Uh, da, 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 three years ago, I want to say. 2014 okay yeah yeah so what you um, end up with then is something that looks kind of like a pint of guinness i suppose yeah precisely and you see you see less oxidation because of this eh? oh yeah we so um you know right now we can keep the coffees for at least two months really um yeah as we're as we're getting more professional in our in our processes it's uh it's extending we actually had a batch that we forgot about recently that had been in the corner for for five months uh and it was great we tasted it expecting to be absolutely horrified but it was great wow do you um, tend more towards like particular types of coffee because in my experience it's if i was going to do a cold brew i'd do like a kenyan or a washed yogurt or something and try to stay clear of naturals does, does that ring true for you or no, yeah, we'll definitely steer clear of naturals because even though when people try try the natural, of course, their their eyes light up. They say, "Wow, what is this?" Um, but you know that that kind of quickly fades, and it ends up being too much. It's not something they would have a second a second uh, serving of. Mm -hmm. It's too heavy. Um, so our main coffee um, that we use is a is a bourbon wash bourbon from Guatemala. Um, that we get through Nadine at Third Wave. Thanks, Nadine. It's a great coffee. Um, and yeah, that's great. People love that because it's it has a bit of acidity, but it's not kind of the dominant character. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's bourbon, so it's super sweet uh, and has great great body to begin with, and then with the nitrogen, just kind of bumps it up. Um, but that's the that we just we just retired that for the season. And we're um, currently working with a uh, natural yellow katwai uh, via FAF from Bella Vista. 
um, that doesn't taste like a natural at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, we'll be on that until probably July. Uh, I imagine we should be getting the the Guatemalan back in. So this like the, you guys like produces in batches keg it, then you have wholesale customers and you just ship them the kegs and they have a tap installed and then off they go. Precisely. And is it coffee shops that are picking up this, or is it hotels, or is it all of the above? We have uh, um, a few coffee shops, um, a hotel, um, the Soho House. Wow. We have uh, um, a couple fancy restaurants, even a natural wine bar, really? which is great. Yeah. Um, you do international, or is it just in Berlin or Germany? Um, no, there was there was a place in uh, in Zagreb serving it for a while, but. Um, well, it's been winter, so I don't know if they're going to pick it back up again in the summer. I'd but imagine it's very seasonal, eh? It's it's super seasonal. Uh, yeah, and this winter we ended up having not very much to do. There's still there's still a few a few clients who are who are diehard and they keep it on all the time, and I love that. Wow. Um, but that's why we decided to start a, a beer company this winter, just so that um, this is motel, is that right? We didn't have any time for vacation. Yeah, motel. Um, which is great. That went very well. So it was a it was a good a good friend of ours joined the company, uh, Dr. Peter Reed, Canadian fellow. Nice. Um, who was beering uh, who was beering brews already in Berlin. Nice. Um, the bottles are gorgeous. I'm just looking at them here on the website. Ah, oh, thank you. Yes, uh, that's our our creative director, Marie Stadelman. Because like a lot of beer job. bottles, if you go into into like a, a like a you know good quality beer shop. And look at all the range if they have like you know the American and German and Scandinavian breweries from all over the world. They remind me of you know the heavy metal jackets with all the badges on the back. Yeah, that kind of aesthetic. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, and I think the beer industry's got some really really pressing design issues. But yeah, these you've nailed this. They're absolutely beautiful. Yeah, we're we're pretty happy about it. And it's uh, and that's yeah. We we actually just sold out. Uh, oh. Yes. No. Wait. We have one. We have we have one keg left. So if anyone in Berlin hears this, um, you know, act now. <laughs> Good little plug there. I'm gonna come drink some <laughs> in September between the first and the fifth. Yeah, but the uh, coolest thing about uh, doing the beer was that we we started bottling the beers, and then finally um, got a chance to really work on bottling the coffee as well. Right. And uh, and that was because then just had to develop a completely new recipe for it because. Um, you know, the stuff we do on tap is 1.45% TDS. And if you do 33 CLs of that, you're going to lose your mind. That's so much caffeine. Yeah. Um, plus the, plus the, the normal pressure, the bottles would probably have a 50% failure rate. They would probably be just exploding in fridges all over town. Yeah. Um, right. so it was really fun developing a completely new recipe for that, which involved actually using a Kenyan coffee, um, instead of the Guatemalan, mostly because we wanted to find a coffee that had a flavor profile that we could dilute to a reasonable level of caffeine, but yeah. still um, have enough enough flavor to it uh, that it tasted delicious. And it's good, like because I think the other thing about mixing coffee with, with beer is that like a lot of the beers, especially with stouts, because people tend towards stouts, there's that like malted barley is doing a particular job and the coffee is just going to come and do that job again if you use just a big heavy coffee. So you want to get some high notes in there and, and add something that isn't there already. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. 
Okay, we're approaching that time where um we have to uh, wrap things up before um before we go over that hour mark. Um, what's next? You like because you're one of those people that like is every time I meet you, you're about to do something else. I'd say you've got a busy mind, Corey. <laughs> I don't. Well, first first thing first, I'm going to I'm going to take um my first semblance of a vacation in almost three years uh, so i'm gonna go i'm going to costa rica tomorrow and awesome at least at least five out of the 14 days are going to be not coffee related amazing it's, you're gonna you're gonna tip away t- that though aren't you <laughs> I, I, I know i keep telling myself it's gonna be five days but i don't know amazing. um uh, yeah and then after that uh, actually we're the a canning line we're, we're really? working hard to have a canning line by june um because then we can put everything in cans. Nitro coffee, beer. Um, our dear friend Sean has a has a tea company called Companion Tea that are the best teas I've ever had in my life. Yes. And so we want to do some fun canned teas. Um, and yeah. is that going to be uh, Germany specific, or is it you going to be able to ship worldwide or Europe wide? Or definitely Europe wide. Um, Excellent. Worldwide, do you want to come to Dublin see. and do a, an event, and you know you can bring your beer and your tea and stuff and just do a thing. I would love to. Yeah, let's make that happen. Great. It also gives us a chance to open a bottle of wine and have a chat and, and bitch about Jan. Yes, definitely bitch about Jan. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for joining me this morning. That's uh, It's been um, pleasant as always. I do enjoy these chats, Corey. I hope you know. Um, and I'll see you on between September 1st and 5th uh, and if not before. Yeah, I hope before. Yeah, hopefully too. Enjoy your uh, your holiday and uh, we can chat soon. Thanks. Talk soon, Colin. Over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.